We are in Hebrews 13. We have exited Hebrews 12. Um, so while you're turning there, uh, I, it's been a it's been a great journey. Glasses. Uh, well, you know, glasses are a good thing when you want to read. I I need I need contacts to read, so glasses to read, whatever. So I can't see anything further than four inches from my nose. So the line is a bad. <clears throat> Jared, you haven't gotten that bad, have you? No. No. Six inches. Jealous. Jealous. I want those two inches. Um. Sorry. I digress. We are in the last chapter of Hebrews and um, coming to a close. We have three more weeks this week, next week, and the last week of April. And then we are jumping into spiritual disciplines um, where the curriculum will sort of shift a little bit. And then we'll come back to after that, we may split off into two classes offering something like spiritual disciplines and then offering uh, a Bible study, probably of the Gospel of John, because. I can make that one long and <laughs> don't have to think about what to do next. Most of the time, it's right there. Um, so, Gospel of John will be coming up. But in the meantime, we have Hebrews. Today we're covering verses Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 6. And um, before we get started, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to read and we're going to discuss. Sounds good? Cool. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are grateful. Grateful for you and your works. Grateful for being able to spend such a elongated period of time in the book of Hebrews, where it's shown us that Jesus is not just better, but he is the best, where there is no other choice. Lord, we are grateful for um, the time to be able to gather together this morning as we get to see how the practical outworkings of what Jesus' best means. And I pray that you would just submit to our hearts this idea of brotherly love and how many ways it works itself out. Lord, keep us on track and keep our minds focused and soften our hearts to your word. I love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 13, 1-6 says this, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, undefiled for God will judge the sexual immorality, or sexually immoral, and all adulterous. Wow, I cannot read this morning. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is, without a doubt, a very direct passage. Not much mistaking of what it means. I mean, I would hope. Uh, and, but however... It, it does have a lot of, it's not disconnected from the rest of it. And so before we get to our passage today, I want to just kind of discuss how some people would teach, some people will teach this and how you'll read about it sometimes. If you ever read anything on Hebrews 13, they say it's been added. 
to the book of Hebrews. Because it doesn't really make sense if you think about it in a secular mindset. Uh, well, all that was about God. Everything, the first 12 chapters was about God, about Jesus, about uh, warning you to stay close to Jesus. And now we have this just like wisdom literature kind of been added to it. And so we've got to be careful about listening to those voices. And because I think, I think it's very possible that you can hear all of these commands somewhere else in Hebrews if you just read and think closely. So I want to ask you, first question, what is the root of brotherly love according to Hebrews? What is the root of the brotherly, of brotherly love according to Hebrews? A common faith? Think about who has made the brotherhood. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's common faith in the one Christ. Yes. Right. His complete work, his complete betterness it, than everything else. The reason I said that yes. was that passage that says, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief, yes. <laughs> the living God, lest any root yep. of bitterness spring up and buy it in 1985. Yes, and so that root of bitterness is not rooted in Christ or the faith that he has given, but it's rooted in the things that we think that we should have or the things that we see in front of us that we are like, why don't we have this, for instance? The people of that time, what were they missing? This was written about 70 AD, thereabouts. Does anybody know what happened in the world? <laughs> About 70, 80, the temple, what? The temple was destroyed. It was destroyed. So everything that they knew about the sacrificial system was either going away or was gone. Because some people say that it's written in like 62. It's very possible, and which would have been eight years prior, but they would have had a lot of dealings with the Romans. It doesn't really matter. The whole point is, is what they saw and what they thought was good, the temple worship, as the way that they became right with God, was going, or was gone. But it wasn't the root of their righteousness. And they did not understand that. They under, these people have, were not, uh, is, this is not an evangelistic message, right? It's a reminder of to, to Christians who have already believed in Christ, right? The warnings don't make sense to a non-Christian because what are they being warned from? Nothing. They're not falling away from anything. They're already falling away. But these are two Christians who are longing for the spiritual senses to be tickled or to see something that has been presented to them their entire lives as normative for their righteousness before God. And so now all their righteousness is tied up in Jesus and his work and his will and his ways. And so brotherly love is rooted not in those things in the temple, but in Christ Jesus, their Lord. And that is the whole point of the book of Hebrews. Your righteousness comes only from Jesus Christ. It does not come from anyone else. Anything you do, anything that you want, anything that you long for, any desire that you have, except for the one that you have for Christ and his righteousness. I think it's also just the, the love of the, let the love of the brothers continue um, thinking about their lives with the temple 
their lives revolve around the temple, around yes. the sacrifices, around the meetings and all that stuff. So with that going away, whether it was prior to or after, with that going away and seeing how that's no longer supposed to be their, their lives with the sacrifices, I think the author is also just practically trying to say, hey, the, thing, the good things about this, where you had the brotherly love, you had the community, still needs to continue afterwards. Yeah, thank you for taking my second question away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. I do appreciate it. Go ahead. It just occurred to me that as in, in what he was saying, that <clears throat> if we are a, a bunch of brothers in Christ, or a bunch of brothers in faith, I was trying to avoid getting the punchline too quickly, and I, yeah, you did. I it's threw okay. it out. But yeah, the scripture says that Christ was the firstborn among many brethren. Yes. So here we are, this group of brothers, and yes, that means ancestors. <laughs> yeah. And, but where should our, I mean, yes, we need to love each other, but the focal point of that love is as we see the character of the man, of the principal heir yeah. developed in each other. Heir as in H-E-I-R, not error. Yeah. Yes. So principal heir as in an heir to the throne. Yes, continue. Uh, that was basically it, as we see him developed in each other. Yeah. And see his character starting to come out. It's it's not the the charm or the humor or the whatever of our brothers that locks us together. Right. It's seeing him in each other and loving the him. Yeah, loving Jesus. Loving him who is in you. Yeah. Right. Him who is in you and through you. I, I it's an interesting thing. What 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 do you think people think about? Uh, this is a little bit off the beaten path, so forgive me. When I say individual individuality, like I have heard it said to me particularly, well, if I give my life to Christ, I no longer matter. What they mean by that, and the clarification about that is like, well, well what do you mean by that? Because obviously you do matter if Jesus died for you. Uh, however, they're like, well, my personality, my individuality, who I love, what I do, all those things now are gone because Jesus eradicates them. And I think this is a fundamental un misunderstanding of Jesus has bought you with his blood and he is changing you to be like him. But in, that does not mean that you go and sit on top of a mountaintop and pray as he did in the Gospels all the time because that's the only place to pray. That does not mean that you eventually will die for sins. This does not mean that your life and who you are and what God has made you to be to proclaim his glory amongst all nations, including the ones right at home, is, is any less adequate or any less glorious. Um, he has given you a spirit within you, but it's not the spirit of making you a robot and, or making you like... Um, Clone Wars, you know, anybody wants to go with me for Star Wars for a second? Third Star Wars movie. Sorry. Third Star Wars movie. What, 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 what does he walk into? He goes to uh, the, the planet. What? The factory planet. Yeah, he goes to the factory planet, but it's on, it's water, it's a water world. What? Oh, Camino. Camino. Camino? Yeah. So he goes to the planet Camino, and this is just not Bible. I have a hard time remembering it. Uh, 
he goes to he goes to Camino and he goes uh, to the place and he says, "Hey, show me the clones." Like, oh, this is Obi Wan, by the way. Show me the clones. <laughs> Who is he cloned after? All these things, and it's just like clone after clone after clone after clone of the same guy. We're not that. We're not that. We're we're not all you know. In this case, Boba Fett. Uh, we're all. We're we're all. We're all image bearers of Christ. What? It's Jango Fett. Fett, whatever. See? <laughs> Bible guy. It's okay. Bible guy. Uh, anyway, I didn't but... Him. I didn't even see him. So, <laughs> so the, 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 the issue here is you're not losing who you are. You are becoming more like Christ in your life as you go. And you should desire to give up those things that divert your attention and everybody else's attention from Christ. I agree. It's, it's the, the, the misunderstanding is people think that individuality is being. Autonomy is yeah. everything is to, to the, the world. And it started in the garden, yes. <laughs> what happened, happened in the garden? Adam and Eve decided to not follow the word, the word of the Lord, but follow the snake's uh, lies and deceit. Right? And it still it just perpetuates itself. Just, just read the New Testament. Does he, have you ever noticed styles of writing? <laughs> yeah, the stylistic of writing. It's all different, right? It's all different. Peter, Peter writes very different than John. And very different than Mark. And very different than Paul. And... Here, I brought it to the Bible for you. Thank you. I, I'm good with this. <laughs> so the bottom line is, is that we have liberty. We do. We have, we have liberty of conscience as far as Christ would be glorified. That I think we have to think of it that way. Our liberty is... Uh, for freedom, Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free, right? But that is freedom to live for the glory of Christ. And so as far as your conscience goes, as long as it's glorifying Christ, it is um, in the right. And we're not, however, we're not losing anything of ourselves. If anything, we are adding right we're adding more and more godliness and that god is doing that to us through the spirit liberty you were able to go to star wars where my generation said legally you were not supposed to go to movies so i wasn't supposed to watch yeah nobody nobody doesn't have to watch star wars then. one more rex and then we're gonna move on um i'm not a big fan of Focus on family ministries, but there was a thing that they talked about some years ago a study that was done because there was this movement in schools in elementary schools. Oh, we need to get rid of the fences around the playgrounds because the children don't feel freedom. And, and the study showed that schools that did that found no, <laughs> what they found was that the kids naturally tended than to huddle in the middle of the playground. Yep, because there was no fence to tell them how far no, their freedom went. Yeah, and then well, the schools that had the fencing, the kids used the whole playground. Yeah, the climb the fence and hang on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me out! <laughs> Boundaries are not. Boundaries are not. To restrict freedom, correct. but to allow you to enjoy freedom fully. Yes, and with that, let's talk about our text. Yeah. So. I, I appreciate the com conversation, especially I think it helps us understand what brotherly love is rooted in Christ, right? Number one. And number two, it continues, right? So they had something before this, their salvation, but now it's even deeper, right? And this deeper 
understanding what brotherly love is comes only through Christ Jesus and through his church. So it says, let brotherly love continue. So we're going to talk about structure for a second. Uh, there are two, two schools of thought here, that there are six things or six commands here that would say, uh, okay, let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison. Let marriage be kept holy. Keep your life free from money. Be content. And uh, be content and love the Lord. So it would be the sixth one if you were to kind of encapsulate them. However, I am not of that mind. What I think is happening here is an outworking of a passage. So you've got first, uh, let brotherly love continue. And you have, how is that to work out? Okay, so you have, you know, four other things. How is it to work out? Number one is to work out in hospitality. And number two is to work out in covenant keeping. So number one, hospitality. Number two, covenant keeping. And the hospitality section kind of spans verses two, well, one to three, if you want to look at it that way. And then covenant keeping is verses four, five, and six. So when we look at this, what is hospitality, first off? Somebody define it for me. What is hospitality? To be hospitable. <laughs> we learned this early. Um, we do not use the word in the definition. It's not the whole word. It's a form of the word. It's the root. Oh boy. What does to be hospitable mean? <laughs> Okay, abso- okay, absolutely. And what else, what else could it be? Let's, that, I agree. Uh, that is a great, a great understanding of hospitality. The word itself, I mean, just in the, in the original, the, the roots of it is love of strangers. Yeah, so or the care, the care for yeah, another. Yeah, it involves yeah. caring about the people around you, the people that your neighbor, as Jesus said in his parable. Love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of idea, right? Uh, hospitality is absolutely, there's a rule or a way to show kindness and care for another, right? And so it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And if you read this, it is a double hospitality, hospitality, hospitality. So, um, and it's just trying to make the point that, hey, this is, this is, a, this is a thing that should be naturally outworking in your life. And so hospitality to strangers uh, is something that is a little bit odd for the Jew. Think about some parables that you know. When was hospitality held up in high esteem by Jesus, but not by the Pharisees? All the time. All the time. Think about something really direct, though. The Good Samaritan, right? We all know this parable, right? Who, who was called the one who did the will of God? Dirty yeah, the dirty Samaritan. Not the priest, nor the Levite, but the Samaritan, the half-breed. The, yes, thank you. The, health, the Harry Potter reference there. Mudblood. So, so hospitality is something that is naturally going to be a part of the Christian religion, it is not necessarily a natural outworking to the Jews. However, it is commanded by 
by the Lord to the Jews early on, right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's even, it's even in the old covenant, in the yes. law, that you're supposed to leave the outer, you know, the outer part of your crops. Yes. Clean. You're supposed to welcome in the stranger into your home. Yes. It's, hospitality was from the beginning. Beginning, but it was very neglected. Very neglected. And I, so we see, do not neglect to show hospitality for strangers. And then it has this little addendum. To, some have entertained angels unawares. So do you think he's just pulling that out of his you know, like mind? That just The spirit took his pen and said, for some had, you know, and just made his hand write that. Where do you think he's getting it? The Old Testament, like everything else from from chapter one on, uh, what is he? Where is he referencing? There's a couple of places that he could be referencing. Yes, Abraham. Well, into his house, right? So the, the same men, the same group of angels. And God later speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, saying they were not hospitable. There was no hospitality, and they were un- they were unawares that those were angels. <laughs> He's literally condemning them because they were not hospitable to strangers. In this case, uh, so this isn't like somebody is coming to your doorstep. Let me dispel dispel a rumor. Someone comes to your doorstep selling you a product. That's not an angel in disguise, <laughs> necessarily. Should you be kind to them? Yes. Should you be trying to understand what they're doing? Absolutely. Do you have to treat them like they're kings and queens? No. Uh, Not necessarily. I mean, they're image bearers of God, future kings and queens of the kingdom, if if you believe that uh, they're they're too still here on this earth and need to hear the good news of the gospel. Uh, But they are not... there, There is this line of thought. Well, I didn't let that person in and give them a shower. You know, I didn't let that person into my house and do this or that. I didn't... I approached them in the line and say, can I pay for your groceries? And so I wasn't showing hospitality. I don't, I think, I think you're missing the point here. Your, your life should be revolving around showing the love of God to all people. Hospitality is not just the actions, but it's also your mindset. It's desires of your heart. Right, it's the way you treat people, not just what you do for them. And so where does he root this? Where else have you heard this within Hebrews? This idea of hospitality. That's the follow-up question. Let's make a connection to the rest of the book. Where else have you heard hospitality talked about or speak, spoken of in Hebrews, in concept, particularly? Okay, absolutely. He was hospitable. No, that's that's one good one, but that's not the one I was thinking of. Anybody know? I'm looking for the exact verse. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For 
because he himself has suffered when tempted, is able to help those who are being tempted. Is that not hospitality? Is that not the root of hospitality? It is because Christ has laid his life down that we are able to show and demonstrate hospitality to one another and to strangers. Not just are we able, but we are commanded to do that. Does that make sense? That is, uh, if you want to know, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 of Hebrews points that out. Okay, so hospitality number one is to strangers. Then he gets into this little thing in verse 3. It says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So we have strangers and we have the believers. Other believers. So there's hospitality to strangers, and there's hospitality to believers. Every type of person right there. Everybody in the new Adam and everybody in the old Adam. It doesn't, know, it doesn't matter. You can slice it any way you want to. There are two types of people in this world. Those in Christ Jesus and those who are not. Those who you know and those who you don't. Right? Not equating the two categories. I'm just saying. Uh, you're supposed to show hospitality to all people. Stranger and believer alike. So, um, it says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. So now I'm going to ask you a more direct question about what are we talking about here? As though in prison with them. Remember them as they are with them. Which I do. Which I do as well. Which makes this make a lot more sense if it is Paul, because he's been in prison quite a lot, um, and, and or will be in prison. Has been in prison actually. Um, and the dis- and I just want to like add something to that real quickly. The dispersion had not happened yet at this point, so the Jews were still allowed to be in Jerusalem. They were not expelled from Jerusalem yet because the temple. They hadn't rabble-roused enough to be expelled yet. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Continue. But, so those who are in prison for the faith. Though, yes. Because even though all of that hasn't happened yet, there's still persecution. Um, and even thinking uh, through the fact that um, all, all that hasn't happened yet, they still would have been thrown into prison for just not even following Caesar's commands and all that kind of stuff. Too. True. So, not just random prisoners. Right. Not just people like a murderer who's in prison. These are people you know. Right. These are brothers. These are your brothers and sisters. Let me ask you this question uh, to make it a little more clear. What, or everybody understand that there's a... a it, let me ask you this. I guess I'll ask it this way. Is there a difference between sympathy and empathy? Okay, so let's define both of them, and I'm going to apply that to our... our the text is going to show us which one is... talking about sympathy is as the word says is sim like sympathetic what well i'm actually going to tell you the roots so sympathetic versus empathetic sim this the the that that idea sim it means with or alongside okay with or alongside Sympathy means, therefore, 
to suffer alongside, okay, or to experience alongside. It could be another way. It's because pathos is the experience of, of like love or emotion, for instance. Then you have empathy. Empathy means in the same, like, so in, M, uh, means empathy, in the same emotion. So have you ever heard someone say, walk a mile in my shoes? What they're really saying is, have empathy with me, right? So have empathy with me. Understand what I'm going through right now is harder than what you think it is right now, okay? It's an understanding of, I'm walking a mile in your shoes. I'm trying to put myself in that position to know the pain or the, the joy or any of those things. Sympathy is walking alongside or with those people. Is there an improper understanding or what, what, what are the two sides of the coin for empathy? Let's say, what does the world say about empathy first? You must what? And what does that mean? No judgment. That means there is no right and wrong. There is what I experience. And you have a responsibility to believe what I believe is good and affirm it and say it's a good thing. So they're asking you to walk a mile in their shoes and approve of it. Right? That's, that's improper use of empathy. Right? What is the Christian understanding of empathy? Does anybody want to just take a stab at it? This, the Christian understanding of empathy is outlined in this one phrase. As though in prison with them, skip down, since you also are in the body. Okay? So if, you're, if, you, if your brother or sister is suffering in, as, an impris, as a prisoner unjustly, then you should be weeping with those who weep, right? Mourning with those who mourn. You should not say, well, it's your fault you went in there, you didn't say the right creed, and you didn't say that Jesus, uh, Caesar was Lord, you said Jesus was Lord, you had what was coming to you. That's called heartlessness uh, and pragmatics. We don't deal in that, we deal in... Um, Pragmatism is, an, is a bad idea to, in general. We do make pragmatic decisions all the time. But if you live by that rule, you will die by that rule too. And, uh, and in this case, it's saying, look, there's a proper place for empathy. And the proper place for empathy is when you yourself, by the way, we are all of the same body, which is a Christ. So if the hand is hurting and the eye sees it, are they, are they not both affected? Right? They're both affected. So, in other words, you're supposed to show brotherly love in a way that says, this brother is hurting unjustly, and therefore I am hurting also. Okay? Now, let's, let's handle this on the other side of it. What if they are hurting justly? What if their sin has caused them pain? What is our response? What is the response of the Christian brother if another Christian brother is in sin? If you see your, you see your brother tangled up in barbed wire, your response is not to go, probably deserved it, but to help him escape from 
what is binding him, yes. what is imprisoning him. I think I heard it from Valerie. Sym- sympathy. Sympathy is the correct re- answer. You're supposed to walk, walk alongside that brother. Because if you're both walking along on a, on a cliff and it's, it's two feet wide, and you see that your brother's about to step off the cliff because he's turning around to look at you and talk to you, like you're all walking in this direction, it's only two feet wide, and you see him about to take a step, what is your proper response? Don't do that! Right? Don't step off the cliff! Like, you're not going to hurt when he goes off the cliff. You're going to be in pain. It's going to be emotional pain. But the physical pain is not going to be yours. But you are to be standing on that thing, on that, on that cliff, and grab your brother and pull him back. Right? That's our response to brothers in sin. So we're not to walk in that sin with them. So, or even, even in the world, when the world says, hey, you're supposed to affirm me, we are not to walk in that sin. If you affirm that sin, you are walking in that sin, and therefore you have allied your something with something that's ungodly. That is not your job. That is not who you are. You are called to righteousness and holiness at all times. Let brotherly love continue is the command. And how does that work it out? By showing proper sympathy and empathy toward those you know and those you don't know. I think when it comes to sympathy, it's, uh, it's obvious, but also not so obvious when you're in the moment. That oh, you're not yeah. supposed to abandon them. Mm. So if they're in, especially if someone's in sin, and you're coming to sympathize a long time, to sympathize with them is to actually do something. Not to see that they're in sin and be like, sucks to suck, bro, and then walk away. And walk away. Like, you're supposed to come alongside, you're supposed to Yes, especially, and, and when that coming alongside is rejected, then, or it should be accepted immediately, but if it's not, then you have the responsibility to pursue as long as you can, as long as you're able. And, and that was, uh, my, my illustration may have been bad, but the, the, the goal was that that point is yes. without affirming the rightness of what got in there, yeah. you want to bring him out of that sin, yeah. not just let leave Remember, let brotherly love continue is the command. How does that look? By remembering those who are in prison as though, is, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body, right? You're supposed to show correct, <laughs> a correct understanding towards and balance towards people and where their situation are and all those things. Let's move on. I've got five minutes to do covenant keeping. Uh, so we get down to uh, verse 4 and verse 5. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let's stop right there. Let, the marriage, let marriage be held in honor among all. Why is he choosing now to talk about bride and bridegroom relationships when he has not discussed it in that manner, particularly the rest of the book. Why do you think he's putting it so succinctly, let the marriage bed be undefiled? Remember the heading is covenant keeping. Might help a little. Well, it's, the, it's, it's our, it's our most um, real 
outward expression of a covenant? Yes, Ephesians 5. Somebody turn to Ephesians 5 and uh, start in the section where it says... Twenty-two to twenty-four, and I'm going to say in parentheses everything after that for the rest of five. But where somebody would read uh, Ephesians five twenty-two through twenty-four, that'd be great. Twenty-two to twenty-five, twenty-four. Twenty-four. Okay. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is and is himself its savior. Now, as to the church submits, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so I'm going to outline what does it look like for a husband to submit to the Lord. And just really quickly, one, wash her in the water of the Word, so that she might be sanctified, presented holy and pure. Number one. Um, number two, love them as they love their own love their own selves, right? love their own bodies, um, because they are part of the same body, Christ himself. That's the parentheses there. Um, and number, two, number three, uh, cherish them, nourish them, see that they flourish, whatever, whoever, if it's husband or wife, see that they flourish the best of their ability according to Christ and his love. So why does he bring up marriage? Because it is the one covenant on earth that everybody or not everybody, most people enter into, right? Most people, Gentile, Jewish, secular, pagan, Christian, they all have marriage at some level, right? And so the marriage covenant for Christians is a direct reflection of Christ and his covenant with his own body, okay? So if you don't see marriage as the reflection of Christ and his covenant with the body on earth, the church, then you will inevitably solely what Christ has done for you. And that, what he has talked about throughout all the rest of Hebrews will come into, con- will come into conflict with your life. And if your life does not align with what Christ has taught, then there will inevitably be the charge of hypocrisy. Now, is everybody a hypocrite? The answer is Yes. What's the difference, though? We are striving to be more like Christ. We are not trying to run from the image of Christ. We're not trying to be our own thing. We're trying to be who Christ made us to be, right? Which is a reflection of his own body. So the idea of marriage is a huge deal. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. That, and we could get into what that means. I'm not going to. I'm running out of time. Um, but if you do not understand that marriage itself is a base, basic covenant that reflects Christ in the church, then come talk to me. I have uh, lots of things to say about that. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about that over and over and over. And so read scripture, you'll see it. Uh, number five, let your life be free, or verse five, let your life be free from the love of money. This is covenant keeping number two. And I'm just going to say it and not ask the question. Um, if you love something outside of God, what are you guilty of? Idolatry. The love of money is not... Uh, the love of money is, is the giving of oneself to all that money can do or provide for you. Okay? So, 
the idea of giving yourself to money violates the covenant that you have with God. And why, does he, why do I say it that way? Because he backs it up with saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? He doesn't say, well, money's just not, the good, not good enough. It says, no, you've already given, you already have the sustainer and the one who's giving you everything. Your health, what you have at the house, what you have in your family, what you have in your life. You do not need to make anything else God. It will be lesser, including money, which buys you lots of stuff, but that stuff will be only hay and stubble when Christ returns and when he judges all things. So the idea is, it's not that money is evil, it's that your heart is wicked beyond imagination. Who can know it? But your heart is being changed into more the likeness of what? Um, of more, I just saw somebody I haven't seen forever. Hi, I'm not gonna, what's up man? It's good to see you. Uh, there's a, a level of, uh, a level of like this idea of Christ being everything. The whole of Hebrews is about Christ is best. He is all. And if you give anything your kind of devotion at that level, you are guilty of the idolatry uh, that he is trying to pull you away from. That, that the Hebrew, the author of Hebrews is trying to pull you away from. Notice, what does he say? Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than temple worship. He's better than everything, right? And if you give yourself to something that is lesser, then you're giving yourself to death because that's what death brings you. Devotion to angels brings you death. It does not have everlasting life attached to it. Devotion to Moses brings you death because that is the, that you, you live by the law, you die by the law. If you give yourself to the temple worship and the idea of me doing things, you will reap death. And so he is exhorting all of us, do not give yourself to anything, even money. Don't give yourself to anything that is not Jesus Christ himself. He is showing sympathy, literally working it out. What does it mean? He's walking alongside you and saying, don't do that. Don't chase that job that's going to give you six figures. Because with it comes 70, 80 hour work week. Because with it comes neglect of your family. With it comes neglect of your church, neglect of the body, neglect of, do you hear me? You hear what it's saying? He's, he's warning you. He's pulling you away from the cliff. Are those things evil in and of themselves? No. But devotion to them is evil. So we have two points today. Let brotherly love continue is the main header. And that means within hospitality to strangers and to brothers or the brethren or whatever you want to call it, the church. And number two is covenant keeping. So within our marriages, to, to our marriages for the glory of God. Right. Does anybody have any questions? Cool. And I will pray. Uh, we'll be done. Oh, Father, we are uh, grateful for this time to be admonished and shaped and taught by you. We pray that you would continue to um, enliven our lives and illuminate our hearts with your spirit and your word. Lord, as we go in, into this next uh, movement of just 
being able to gather and sing your praises and hear your word preached. Lord, we pray that you would continually be made known even to our hearts so we might make you known to others. Lord, give us hearts of hospitality and give us steadfast love for you and your people. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.